You're listening to Preferred Perspectives with host Morgan Matson, founder and president of Preferred Counsel. It's the San Antonio legal podcast that covers all things legal careers, staffing, and industry trends. It's real talk. It's real counsel. Now here's your host, Morgan Matson. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Morgan Matson, president and founder of Preferred Counsel. Welcome to our podcast on the Paycheck Protection Program. For a brief history, this program which many refer to as a PPP loan, was established March 27, 2020, as part of the nearly $700 billion loan program comprising the CARES Act. Essentially allowed businesses and self-employed workers, independent contractors, to apply for low interest rate loans that had an initial two-year repayment schedule. Loan proceeds could be used to pay payroll costs, rent, interest, utilities, and depending upon certain conditions, the loan could be partially or potentially fully forgiven. All of the Paycheck Protection Program's original $349 billion of funding was used up pretty quickly, I believe between April 3rd and April 16th of 2020. Let me say that again. Really quickly, $349 billion was used. It was depleted. The Small Business Administration stopped accepting new PPP applications on April 16th of 2020. So somewhere around April 24th of 2020, uh, an additional $320 billion of funding was supplied to the PPP program as part of a new law, the Paycheck Protection Program and Healthcare Enhancement Act. This allowed the Small Business Administration to begin accepting applications again around April 27th. Then on May 26th, yet another law, I think this was the third law, was passed, the Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act of 2020. It amended the original Paycheck Protection Program Uh, It allowed for expanded loan forgiveness. It provided for a five-year repayment plan instead of two, again, depending upon certain qualifications, certain requirements. Now, in between that time, we're talking about, you know, late March of this year and uh, early June, there have been a variety of various Treasury Department guidelines on how the Small Business Administration is supposed to interpret the PPP, uh, what constitutes allowable expenses, There's a good faith necessity declaration that the applicant has to make, and how is that to be interpreted? What entities would be allowed to apply? For instance, do partnerships apply on behalf of their individual partners, or do individual partners apply for a loan on their own? All sorts of different questions have been raised with all sorts of different varying opinions and things like that. So it's very confusing. And so what I thought would be helpful for our guest today is to have a, someone who's got some experience with this. And today we are joined by attorney and Jackson Walker, finance, banking, and commercial real estate partner, Lindsay Berwick. For those of you that don't already know Lindsay, you need to get to know her. She is impressive. She has more than a decade of experience helping clients buy and sell commercial properties, helping clients finance those purchases, and advising clients on commercial loan structures and documentation. Lindsay has extensive background in the banking and finance industry and is a sought-after speaker on these topics. Now, before we continue, I want to make sure to give a, an important disclosure. This particular podcast, as are all the podcasts, are just general informational purposes. This is not for specific legal advice. It's for informational purposes only. You're not to rely on any of the discussions that we're giving here for legal advice on how to complete a PPP application or how to ask for forgiveness or whether you're entitled to uh, any funds under the PPP. If you have any specific questions, I encourage you to reach out to Lindsay directly or find another lawyer that you're comfortable with, retain that lawyer and have your questions answered to the best of your satisfaction. It's it's unfortunate we have to give those disclosures, but they're important because I want our audience to know that, that, that we're just talking about this in general general terms. And so with all of that, Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Morgan. And thank you so much for having me. I appreciate 
you inviting me to be on the show today. I thank you very much for your time. I've seen some of the articles you've written on the PPP and different professionals I interact with. You know, I have a lot of questions and I thought it would just be helpful to have your, your thoughts on the matter. And, you know, as I was saying, as we started, it seems like there's been a lot of changes in the PPP in, in just a few months. Is that kind of correct? That is more than correct. It would be an understatement to say the least. Um, I like to tell people I go to bed at night and when I wake up, everything that happened the day before that I said the day before has changed. So that's at least the world that I feel like I've been living in the last few months. It's starting to slow down a little bit, but I I expect as as borrowers go in to start applying for forgiveness and, and banks start interacting with the SBA on that front, we'll have a whole new whirlwind on our hands. So. Yeah, this is definitely uncharted waters. Uh, I think this is also new and fresh. Everybody's trying to feel their way through this. That's right. And I just keep telling clients, whether they're borrower clients or lender clients, we're all in this together and we're going to figure it out. But we're all in the trenches. I mean, because it, it is, it's unprecedented. You know, you mentioned that they came in and added additional funding. And right before that second funding was actually funded, we were on the phone with the small business committee and to just put it a little bit in perspective, he had said, and this was very early on in the process, again, before the second round of funding. And he said, the SBA has made, you know, 20 years or so worth of loans in this small period of time. And so the the magnitude of what they had done, you know, how much that added up to. And then he said, and then, you know, one more perspective is we're running a $600 billion program, you know, once you put the additional funding in by FAQs published nightly on a website. So it really puts the magnitude of what this is and how fast it had to come together. And, you know, the result of that is, you know, kind of what we're dealing with now, but we're working through it and we're figuring it out. And, you know, hopefully when it's all said and done, it'll have been worth it for a lot of these small businesses. I hope that too. It it does seem like it is achieving its purpose in terms of keeping, uh, in a way, the lights on and keeping payroll going. And were those the kind of the two main criteria that that this was designed to to target? Yes. You know, it it definitely, although they changed up the eligibility role from a typical SBA loan, you know, the target and the goals and the intent behind this was to keep small businesses afloat by allowing them some extra relief to pay their employees. It was kind of a a double target that small businesses to allow them to have access to funds to do so and to keep the workers on the payroll. Speaking about that, I understand that the PPPFA uh, reduced the amount of the loan that would needed to be applied for payroll from 75 to 60%. And then that allowed more of the loan to also be used for other expenses such as rent or mortgage payments, utilities. Were you hearing from individuals or that this was a helpful amendment? It was helpful. You know, when the legislation was first enacted, you know, no one knew what the magnitude of this pandemic was going to be. And no one exactly knew how to do forward projections of what would exactly be needed in terms of, you know, stimulus or relief. And so 
when they came out with, and, and again, the original act itself, the CARES Act itself, you know, didn't speak of this percentage, you know, bifurcation of payroll versus non-payroll costs. But the rules started to, you know, come out and, and they definitely did. And so when the PPPFA came out and said that they could use, you know, up to 40% versus the 25%, it really did help. And if you think about it, there are a lot of businesses who haven't are just now being able to open if even have been opened yet. And so their expenses were being, you know, still looked at from a rent expense and their utilities and, you know, the other types of non-payroll costs that are eligible for forgiveness. And so they weren't able to bring back on their employees necessarily. So they weren't eating up the payroll costs as fast. And so I, I do think that it afforded a lot, you know, it afforded the borrowers a lot more flexibility to be able to use and spend the money and not just have it sitting in an account, not knowing what to do as time was wasting away. Right. And I think that flexibility is key because the other thing that I had run into as I talked to different professionals in town was the original period for which the, the money had to be spent was eight weeks. Is that right? That's right. It was eight weeks. The PPPFA came in and, and allows borrowers 24 weeks, which is great because, again, like I said, some of the, re- you take a restaurant, for instance, they couldn't even open up until a week before their eight week period was up. And so, you know, for borrowers who applied for a loan before June 5th, which was the date of the enactment of the PPPFA, they are allowed to elect either the eight-week period or the 24-week period, both of which run from your first date of disbursement in the loan for your forgiveness period. As for borrowers who received loans on June 5th or after, their covered period for forgiveness purposes will be the 24-week period. And so then that allows them to hopefully uh, hit that period in a way that would then enable them to uh, seek potentially entire forgiveness. That's right. Because if you just do the math and the way that this worked out is the loan amount was calculated at two and a half times. And if you only had eight weeks and you were hit to where you had let some employees go, but we're going to bring them back for purposes of, you know, being able to take advantage of some of the protections under the act, you know, borrowers were having a hard time figuring out how to spend all of the money. And so having 24 weeks to do so should allow them more than enough time to spend it on the right expenses to get the full amount or maximum amount that, you know, that they can for forgiveness purposes. I know that has to be very uh, helpful to a lot of the borrowers out there. Talking about the the forgiveness, is, is that open yet? Are, are borrowers able to start applying for forgiveness? To my knowledge, I've not heard any lenders who have opened up their forgiveness portals yet. I suspect, but do not know, that this will be forthcoming in the next week or two. I do think there will be a lot of lenders who wait till after the July 4th weekend to do so. There's a lot of operational and administrative changes that go into the forgiveness component. Or once they rolled out some of the new rules and they changed the forgiveness applications, there's now two applications that a borrower can utilize depending upon their individual circumstances. And so I think, you know, lenders are trying to gear up to do this in the most efficient way possible. So 
I suspect that that those portals will start opening, you know, maybe any day now, but it, you could still be looking at a couple of weeks before they're actually open to, to hit submit. And I don't know that we'll see any revised applications, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, as this unfolds, you know, we see some changes. But there are two applications out there now that borrowers can at least start getting familiar with and determining which one's the best for them. How would um, somebody look for those forms? The forms are actually located on the uh, Treasury site. Uh, the Treasury site has done a good job of at least publishing all of the information in forms of the FAQs and the IFRs. And IFR is an interim final rule, which is what they're using to to roll out some of the rules of the program. And so they have all of that posted along with some frequently asked questions and along with the borrower application forms for forgiveness. And again, there's two. There's the regular form and there's the easy form. And the easy form came out and it's it's just a shortened version of the regular form. And it's really intended for those employers who are either or borrowers who are self-employed, independent contractors, or sole proprietors because you don't have any employees, or for those employers who um, did not have any reductions in their FTE or wage levels, or if you were able to avail yourself of you know some of the exemptions of the reduction standards such that it wouldn't be counted against you for forgiveness purposes, because the regular application requires a very detailed calculation of your FTEs and wages. And to the extent you didn't really, you know, have any changes in those, the easy application is a little more straightforward. Their own set of instructions and those instructions can also be find, found at the treasury site. Excellent. Okay. And so recognizing that this is all a new process and it, it hasn't actually happened yet, what do you anticipate the loan forgiveness process to look like? Uh, someone goes to the treasury site they complete the forms, they get the necessary documentation. And what, what what do you think will happen next? So I suspect it'll be a little bit like it was on the front end when borrowers were applying in the beginning. And each lender's process will look a little different. You'll actually apply through the lender, not through the SBA. So you'll have to go back to the PPP uh, lender that made the loan. And, you know, while I expect most of them will, you know, do it electronically. That may not be the case for all lenders. So you're going to definitely, if you're a borrower looking at what's your next steps, you're going to want to, you're going to want to reach out to your lender. Although if you do it today, they may not have any answers for you. So you use your form, whichever one it is that is appropriate for you. And you'll submit that a lender has 60 days to make a determination on the forgiveness. And then the SBA has, you know, once they receive the lender's determination on forgiveness, they have 90 days to remit the forgiveness funds to the lender. So you could be looking at, you know, I don't think you're going to apply for forgiveness and, you know, in a week or two hear back anything. So I suspect it'll still be a little bit of a long process. And I think that there will be ongoing changes in the interim. And hopefully that doesn't disrupt too many applications. But, you know, 
my recommendation would be once you hit your covered period or once you've spent all of the money that you're going to apply for forgiveness for, go ahead and, you know, get your application in to the extent that, you know, it's open and available because you can only imagine what it looked like on the front end. I, I suspect we'll be looking at the same thing on the back end. Yeah, it's going to be a massive amount of paperwork and there's only so many uh, hands that are able to uh, analyze the paperwork, right? That's right. It is going to be a backlog. For people who are concerned about this and trying to stay uh, up to date, is there like a particular website you mentioned early on, like an FAQ section, you know, where is there a specific spot where this is kind of aggregated that deals with the different treasury regulations or the, the answers to these questions? Well, the treasury site, like I said, has the FAQs. I will say that the FAQs have mostly been centered around eligibility and questions that were coming up on how to calculate payroll costs and things like that on the front end. Okay. I hope they start updating those with more frequently asked questions in the respective loan forgiveness because the treasury site, like I said, they have everything on there, but if you don't know where to look for your answer is probably not that helpful. Like, you know, you don't know, do I need IFR number three or IFR number 16? You know, oh it's, it's yeah. not to know where to go. So I'm hoping that those FAQs, they'll kind of do the same thing they did on the front end with the application process and do it for forgiveness as well, because that seems to be the easiest thing for borrowers to go to and, and look at. Okay. And then let's say that a determination is made that is not forgiven. Then my understanding is that depending upon when you applied or received the loan proceeds, your loan repayment will either be two years or five years. Is that generally correct? Is there anything you can add about that? Sure. So this change came in in the PPPFA enactment, which again was on June 5th. So for borrowers who have loans before June 5th, their maturity dates in their current existing documents are two years. For borrowers who were allocated an SBA loan number as of June 5th and after, their maturity dates are five years. Now, a borrower who has a two-year maturity, that's not to say they can't negotiate with their lender to, to get a, it extended to five years. But that is how that works. So anyone who gets a loan um, today will have a five-year maturity. And I should say, if you want a loan, you have about four days to do so. And so you should get on that. They're going to shut the applications down on the 30th. But June 5th and forward are a five-year maturity. And prior to June 5th is a two-year maturity. Okay. So possibility that you could get with your lender. And if you fall on that two-year, you could speak with them and, and ask for a five-year. That is right, but that is in the discretion of the lender, and they're not, you know, they're not obligated to have to make that concession. So, I have not seen or heard whether there's anyone who just, on the lender front, is, is just offering that, you know, out of the box. But that doesn't mean that that won't come once we start seeing what forgiveness looks like. What about the safe harbor provisions with respect to the, I've, I've heard 2 million or now I, I hear that some groups are lobbying for the safe harbor threshold to be lower than that to maybe 1 million. Have you heard anything about that? Was well, a safe harbor provision that came out with respect to the good faith certification for necessity of, of getting the loan. And they said that, you know, 
applicants with loan amounts under $2 million will be deemed to have made that certification in good faith. So there's, you know, the, that safe harbor. I will say that from a public transparency standpoint, they've most recently come out and said that they're going to publish the names of borrowers who received loans in excess of 150000 And so I think there will be more to come on that. They're, they're going to do it in tranches. They won't say borrower ABC received a $250,000 loan. What they'll do is they'll, they've set up these tranches that are, you know, 150 to 350,000 with the next bucket being 350 to a million and then so on. Mm-hmm. And they're disclosed within those buckets, the names of the borrowers, their addresses, demographic data, their job. And so you won't be able to associate an exact loan amount with any one borrower, but they are going to make that information publicly available. That's good to know. Lindsay, you have been incredibly helpful and gracious with your time. We appreciate having you. Is there any last thoughts you'd like to leave us? No, you know, it's quite the roller coaster. And I I expect everything is going to continue to go up and down from here. And it it was a great thing that they extended the 24 weeks for borrowers, but it just means we're on this ride for a little bit longer than we originally thought we might be. You know, my suggestion is try to spend that money, you know, as quick as you can on the right things to get forgiveness as soon as possible and hopefully be able to move on and or somewhat move on, at least from this process, right? The difficult times for everyone, but this hasn't, you know, made things all that much easier just given the the way that the process has been. So I know we have a lot of borrowers looking to just get their forgiveness and be able to figure out next steps for, you know, their business and in the wake of everything that we're experiencing today. So thanks again, Morgan, for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. I think roller coaster is a great way to describe it. It's a perfect descriptor. Thank you so much for your insight today, Lindsay. To our listeners, this is a difficult time for everybody. And as you know, the podcast encourages charitable donations, whether it's of time, whether it's of treasure, whether it's of talent. And so I would encourage you again to to dig deep in your heart and think about what particular charity speaks to you and try out, try to go make the world a little bit better. I mean, it's a tough time for so many people out there. Call up your local charity and see how you can get involved. Everyone, thank you so much for joining this episode of Preferred Perspectives. Make sure to catch our next episode by subscribing via your favorite podcasting service and following Preferred Council on LinkedIn and Facebook. Until next time, this is Morgan Madsen signing off. Thanks, everyone, for joining this episode of Preferred Perspectives. Make sure to catch our next episode by subscribing via your favorite podcasting service and following Preferred Counsel on LinkedIn and Facebook. Until next time, this is Morgan Matson signing off. For more information about Preferred Counsel and its services, visit preferredcounsel.net.